fighting for freedom every day. Republicans right now, the conservatives, which unfortunately, this is what we have to do every time, even after a vote where people are sick and tired of the establishment, they're sick and tired of the squeezy, middle-of-the-road, squishy kind of Republican rhinos, and we vote conservatives in, then we have to fight tooth and nail in D.C. to actually be heard within the Republican Party. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Hey, it's that time again. What's up? Welcome into the program. It's a post-Monday celebration, the greatest day of the entire week. Yes, we say that every day because we are the eternal optimists, and we're all of our carpe dianisms all over the place each and every day. So welcome into it. Let's have some fun on another day. As we And freedom's back, baby. It's back. It is here. It is... Well, I don't want to go along with that because then it's just another chance that the Democrats love. Welcome into the program. Great to have you today broadcasting live out of the heart of the nation here in Wichita, Kansas on our flagship radio station. We are all over the country, radio, TV, live streaming, and podcasting. However you watch or listen to the show, always great to have you along for the ride today. Your Millennial General reporting for duty like we do every day. As usual, a massive show. We're going to cram as much as we can into our one hour of intimacy with you and I together, talking about the greats. But today, man, pat yourself on the back, parade yourself. We did it. We got a little bit of freedom back. Uh, Yeah, I'm telling you, man. Now, that's saying that with a grain of salt because Democrats are probably losing their minds right now because according to the headlines, Joe Biden has officially signed the bill ending the COVID-19 national emergency. We're all going to die because of you! I'm telling you, man, it is going to be a disaster for the Democrat Party. Now they can't promote the fact that we're still dying from COVID-19. They can't promote the fact that we have... Uh, people that are still sick or hospitalized with COVID-19, they can't force the vaccines. They can't force the enforce the mandates for the masks. They can't do uh, all of the even social programs to where you now have to have the work requirements like prior to COVID-19 in order for you to actually uh, qualify to get on some of these social programs, unlike during the COVID-19 pandemic, when if you just felt like you had some hardship, the government sent you money, boom, it's done, you're good, you got the government check rolling in, but you can't do that any longer. And I'm sure it made Joe Biden cringe last night when he signed that bill ending the COVID-19 National Emergency Declaration. My, My question is now, my question is on now that it's ended, What are we going to do with the unspent COVID-19 relief funding? I'm wondering. Or is this the plan that they want to do behind the scenes while they don't openly admit it? Are they going to use that money to pay some of the debts while we have a debt ceiling issue that Republicans have been saying, hey, let's use some of the unfunded COVID-19 funding in in programs that we never spent the money on? Because they were just giving it out free willy to cities and school boards and counties and states all over the nation. Just saying, here, we don't know what else to do with this have fun go at it there's really not a whole lot of guidelines to this money are they going to use that money now and pay off some of the debt ceiling or at least pay the debts until we expand the debt ceiling without telling us they're doing so because they don't want us to know that they're doing it because it was a republican plan and by golly we can't use a republican plan the media though man losing a mayday as well losing their minds over the fact that now people actually have to qualify for social programs by trying to work we're all gonna die because of you Welcome to the program. Got a lot to talk about today. We have Carla Jones. She's with one of my favorite organizations out there, the American Legislative Exchange Council, also known as ALEC. We're going to talk about the Convention of States movement. Now that many of the state legislative sessions around the country are beginning to wrap up, where are we at with Convention of States and have more states jumped on board 
with the concept of the convention of states. What is it? Do you still have reservations? I still get some heat from Republicans and conservatives to a degree on this issue, but I am a full-fledged supporter of the uh, the uh, Convention of States movement, both with Convention of States, the actual organization promoting it, and different organizations and legislators around the country that are advocating for that concept as well. I like it. I don't think it's going to solve all of our problems, but I think that we can use that as definitely a tool in order for us to advance an idea and concept of a limited government and putting some restraints on the federal government as well. So we'll get uh, we'll get with her and pick her brain about that with Carla Jones. She is the Senior Director of Federalism and International Relations with ALEC, and we'll do that at the bottom of the hour. Uh, we'll get back to the COVID declaration thing as well here in just a moment, but obviously some of the big news that's happening today. What's trending today? Which I have to ask, how does it feel, Joe Biden, to have a sabotageur within your own administration? How does it feel? Because I'm sure you're not too happy today, are you? Mine's a nightmare, if anyone's wondering. Uh, (laughs) I'm wondering because, uh, as you know, during the Trump administration for the entire four years, almost on a weekly basis, if not daily basis, every couple of days, there was some type of story of a leak behind the administration. People talking because they were so angry with the Trump administration, they had to leak it to the press. There were sabotageurs every single day under the Trump administration. So there was really no secrets kept within government. Everything was leaked about what Donald Trump was doing. He was wandering uh, wandering aimlessly across the halls of the White House at 2 o'clock in the morning, tweeting angrily, and he was in his robe, and how dare that he actually didn't sleep because he's a type A personality that only needs like two hours of sleep, and they couldn't imagine why. He ate McDonald's, and we had to do a psych test and a health test on him and a health screening to make sure he's okay, which coincidentally now Democrats are finally starting to say, you know, Joe Biden's not in the best mental shape right now. Maybe we should look start looking at other options. But nonetheless, how does it feel to have information from your own government leaked through your administration to the media and you have no idea how it's happening? How does it feel? Because I'm sure you're going nuts right now. Joe Biden, you feeling all right? You going all right? I want to be clear. I'm not going nuts. Making sure. Just double check it on that one. So if you have not heard, there's been a massive amount of uh, 38 pages worth of classified documents that have been leaked. They don't know how. They're doing the internal investigation. And it's the largest uh, batch of uh, classified documents, if I could speak today, good golly, uh, that has come out since uh, Edward Snowden has been releasing documents to the public. Which Edward Snowden, for those that don't know, used to release a lot of them through WikiLeaks and other organizations that would get the information, these classified documents, and said under the idea that, hey, the American people need to know what's going on, and I don't think the government should be keeping secrets. And I'm tending to lean more and more that way. Now, there was, and you can believe this or not believe this in however way that you want to, I remember a radio program called Coast to Coast AM, George Norrie, Overnight's where he talks a lot about the conspiratorial stuff and and you know ghosts and aliens and Bigfoot and everything else but there was a there was a psychic on and I want to say it was right around November or December of last year that made the comment that 2023 and 2024 that this new age quote unquote that we're in is the age of transparency and how all of the secrets were going to start being revealed as we begin to evolve or devolve or change to whatever type of society we're supposed to be in. But all of these secrets are now going to be uh, released little by little 
and we're going to start seeing the truth of what's really happening in the world. And we started seeing that under the Trump administration, because as you know, Donald Trump came in, kind of overturned the tables, kind of exposed the establishment. And the establishment still to this day does not know how to handle the exposure of Donald Trump and what he did to Washington, D.C. And they're desperate to get Washington, D.C. back to the way it was prior to Donald Trump. And they think now that he's out of office, that we can get back to it. We can have our closed-door meetings. We can smoke our cigars and drink our scotch. We can make our backdoor deals and then bicker amongst each else uh, for show while we're on the floor of the House and the Senate. But really, we're working together behind the scenes to really promote a particular agenda. All of that's gone. And all the lies and all the manipulation and all the shenanigans, it's all gone. It's all now being exposed to us, and we're seeing exactly what's happening. And they cannot put the toothpaste back in the toothpaste bottle because now we're seeing the way that they operate. And we're catching them on it day in and day out, which is why the old guard of Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer and Dick Durbin and all these other guys, uh, they're now recognizing the fact that Maybe they can't do what they were doing before, and now they're at a loss on how they operate Washington, D.C. without us calling them out. Well, now we have this massive document leak of these classified documents, and most of it is foreign policy, is military policy for the Ukraine, which is fascinating to me to see how we already had uh, military strategic plans on operations, on the ways we should be invading, on the ways that we should be attacking Russia. And I'm, I'm assuming they're probably leaking these things over to the Ukrainians to help them out. And if so, cool, okay, whatever. But apparently with some of the information in these documents, it's giving out some potential tension of allies because it doesn't show some of our allies in the most favorable manner according to these internal documents. And I, again, just kind of chuckle because I find that absolutely fascinating. And while the media, ABC is really the one losing their minds on what this is and what this actually means and how bad this could be, they don't mention a whole lot of the disasters that it could lead to for the destruction of the Biden administration and how they're holding a lot of intel to themselves and doing a lot of really shady you-know-what. But they're just focusing more on the military operations in the Ukraine that's causing some tension internationally to some degree. But... I recommend you read a couple different sites, including MSN and Fox News on this one, where they're trying to do some collateral damage and damage control on this classified document because this wasn't supposed to get out. And now we have Biden out there talking to, you know, uh, um, where is he at right now? uh, Ireland? Is he in Ireland? I think he's in Ireland right now. I don't know why. Why he's in Northern Ireland hanging out with them. That's cool. Maybe he needs a Guinness. Not quite sure, but... uh, What does that have to do with some of our national policy and what he's doing with some of the main issues going on in the world today? But what this exposed was the fact that they're essentially spying on everyone. It showed that not just Ireland or Ukraine or Russia or China or whoever, they're spying on everyone, including you and I, which we already knew. But the validation from leaked documents like this kind of reinforces the concept that uh, really any social media that you're on or email or GPS or cell phone or computer, whatever else, that they're watching everything that you do. In fact, they're so good that the documents showed that they had hacked into the Russian intel systems to monitor what they were watching, and now they know about it. Because the concern within the classified documents was the fact that we were in their system and they were looking on how they were getting in. Because if they could find out how we were getting into their system, they could learn about our system. That comes at the same time where it's validated that the Chinese balloon that was floating over, that the Biden administration and our very own military said not was a big deal 
not a big deal. Let it fly over. We'll shoot it down once it gets its mission over and gets into the Atlantic Ocean. Then we'll shoot it down. Well, that's validated now as well that we that they were spying on our military bases, on our infrastructure, on other issues. Again, we already knew it, but it's the validation. And it's almost a re-energizing of the anger that we have as the general population by being validated on the conspiracy theories we already knew that were going on. With the Biden administration trying to backpedal, trying to go onto the defense now, trying to shave over these aren't the droids you're looking for, and just completely ignore the issue while focusing all attention on the court case with Donald Trump or shootings or whatever else that they want uh, to be in the mainstream media as of right now, which aren't lasting. Because with this massive 38-page-plus document leak within military could put us in jeopardy. And whoever did it, I don't know. But you almost have to see the irony and the fact that Joe Biden had more classified documents than any other uh, prior elected official in his position privately that he wasn't supposed to have, that the media never covered. And they, as they talk about the security of classified documents with the invasion of Mar-a-Lago that Biden now knew about as well, and we found this out as well with the FBI raid on Mar-a-Lago in Trump's house, that they're the ones that do not keep the secrets very well. We always find out with narcissists that whatever they're trying to accuse you of, just look in the mirror and that's exactly what they're fighting internally for themselves. That's what the Democrats' party is doing right now. They're losing grasp of control, if they ever had control at all, but at least they put on the facade of having control of Washington, D.C., and it's failing them miserably right now, and it's kind of ironic to watch. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Welcome back into the program. 24 minutes past the hour. It really does re-bring up and revitalize the conversation we had all the way back when. Remember when WikiLeaks began all the way back when years ago? Caused a major conversation of is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Should we know these things? Does it put the military, does it put people abroad, people that are maybe undercover in harm's way? Does this compromise our ability to do our job as a nation to try and keep the country and the world safe? Which then goes into the conversation of is it our duty to keep the world safe? Do we just protect ourselves and say to hell with everybody else? Are we imposing our imperialism upon the rest of the world? It's a conversation we've had for years that really stemmed from the globalization. And as the quote-unquote big brother of the world, having the most amount of power and the influence and military and technology, which is really, I mean, honestly true... Maybe except for China, which is, you know, our biggest competitor, I think. You know, we always had the mindset that Russia was like number three in that totem pole, wasn't it? For military strength, for technological strength, for power, for global influence. We always thought that Russia was it, right? It was the U.S. and China and Russia. Those are the top three mega powerhouses of the world. Now we're finding out that Russia is really a very weak nation. Obviously because of communism, so well done on that. Progressives trying to create that style of governance here. <laughs> well done. But the fact that we this these documents show that we actually had hacked into Russian systems to monitor their stuff, which is why we've been able to circumvent them so well in the 
tactical fighting that's going on in the Ukraine, working with the Ukraine to battle against them. We were doing it by hacking their systems and monitor what they were doing. And the weird part is it sounds like they knew about it and were trying to figure out how we were getting in. So because if they did find that out, then they could learn about our system as well. So their military strength is not strong as they've had to pull up essentially a draft in Russia to try and force people to go into the combat with Ukraine. They don't have the technological power with all the amount of uh, armory and tanks and everything else that they're uh, wasting over there. And they're having to resort potentially to a nuclear war and push that certain red button if they don't get the way that they want to because the crazy tyrant that is Vladimir Putin at the end of the day. So it is interesting to see how feeble they actually are but the more concerning conversation here is the strength that we have and are we utilizing it in the right way and should we know about it now i'm all for keeping our spies hidden because i don't want the loss of military lives that are saving our nation i don't want their lives put in jeopardy in any way shape or form however when it comes to military tactic or conversations about our allies or conversations about our enemies or potential scenarios between all of them, is it our duty as American citizens to know what's going on? And these are conversations we've had for the last 20 years. And we're having them again as more gets leaked out, as the transparency begins, as the unveiling of the dark shadows of Washington, D.C. are being lit up and revealed to us. It's the conversation of how is our government working behind the scenes that we're unaware of, and does that make us more proud of our government or more shameful of our government? While we send billions upon billions of dollars over to the Ukraine, we're also working tactfully with the military on how to defeat the Russians, while the, while the Chinese are sending balloons and we're allowing them to spy over us while we say that they're also a threat to some way, shape, or form. It's concerning because I don't want a situation where we're caught off guard as American people, not the government because they're obviously going to know everything that's going on, but as the American people, are we going to be caught off guard with a scenario that the government has put us in and then we're going to be told with the propaganda from our mainstream media and the Biden administration that we're the victims and that it was unprovoked and we don't do anything wrong at all in any way, shape, or form. No. That mindset, that agenda is going to the wayside, and I'm not saying that as an attack on the country but on the government that's lying to us, making our country tainted and damaged because it's not following the symbolic and moral values that we upheld as a nation when we signed the Constitution of the United States. Lots more coming up with Alec right around the corner here on a Tuesday for The Voice of Reason. Stay here. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. When Reason Meets Radio, this is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Darn right, Welcome back into the program. Thanks for hanging out today on a post-Monday celebration. We're just carpe dianism all over the place. So that's what we do here on the program. Trying to cram that 10 pounds of reason into that 5-pound bag. Trying to rebrand the millennial generation. One radio listener at a time on all of our multiple radio stations, TV, live streaming, and podcasting. We love you to death. We'll get back to this document leak here momentarily, but it really does reaffirm the idea that can you really trust the government? And, and look, I may be a cynic. 
I may be going down that road of not not anti-government, obviously, as we go through the concepts constitutionally of needing a necessary evil, needing the necessary government for certain duties. We've obviously strayed away from those concepts of a limited government uh, vastly compared to the original founding. And we can go back to the history of the Articles Confederation all the way prior to the Constitution that led to the Convention of States then that led to the creation of of the Constitution of what we have now. And the question is, why and how has the government gotten so out of control over all these years, and how have we allowed it to get out of control so much? And what can we do to fix these issues? Because now we're seeing these document leaks of just corruption after corruption after backdoor deal after backdoor deal. We have a debt ceiling that's hit one over 100% of our entire private sector GDP, meaning if we steal and take away and confiscate every single penny from every man, woman, and child across this nation, it would barely cover the debts that we have in this nation. That's a problem. When before, just during the Bush administration even, a few years back, uh, we weren't allowed to go past 40% of the GDP as a debt, you know, when we actually passed real budgets and not just crazy omnibus packages that we started under the Obama administration. So how do we get back on track? That's what we're going to talk about here with our next guest. Really happy to have them on. What's trending today? As you know, one of my favorite organizations out there is the American Legislative Exchange Council, also known as ALEC. They get bad reps, man. It's, you talk about that to any you know progressive or anybody else, they're like, mm, ALEC, but man, these guys are awesome. I love them to death and excited to have on the program uh, the Senior Director for the Federalism and International Relations Task Force. Kind of the conversation we just had right up her alley right now. Carla Jones on the line with us here. Carla, how are you today? Great. How about you? We are living the dream. It's so good to have you on the program. And federalism, just that word makes me happy because it's not a word that's used a whole lot in politics anymore, is it? Most people don't even know what it means. In <laughs> fact, most people assume that it means the exact opposite of what it means. Yeah. What it means is state sovereignty. Mm-hmm. Most people think it means concentrating more power with the federal government, which couldn't be further from the truth. Yeah, and it's, and it's uh, that's the conversation that we need to start having today, isn't it? Because now every time something happens, whether it's the shooting in like Louisville, Kentucky from yesterday, whether it's a shooting somewhere else in the country, whether it's a global warming issue, the response that we always hear in the mainstream today is, government, what are you going to do about this? Government, do something. And after years of having the government, quote-unquote, do something, we're in a situation, I don't know, where we can start reining the federal government back in, can we? Um, yes, we can. But I agree with you that especially the federal government has reached a level of dysfunction that truly is frightening. I mean, you look at the national debt. You were talking about the debt ceiling. I'm more concerned about our national debt, which is approaching $32 trillion. Mm. But there is something that Americans, specifically the states, going back to what you were saying about federalism, can do. One of the most powerful tools that states have to rein in the federal government is the ability within Article 5 of the U.S. Constitution to propose constitutional amendments. This is a way that the states can make lasting national change. So. For example, the national debt approaching $32 trillion, well, the state could propose an amendment, a fiscal responsibility amendment to the U.S. Constitution that would force Congress 
to rein in its spending. Wouldn't that be So nice? that's just one way yeah. that an Article 5 Amendments Convention could help the nation. Why haven't we done this more across the nation, and especially before we got to the 50 states that we're in, which obviously makes it very difficult to get two-thirds or three-fourths, whatever it needs, in order to pass a constitutional amendment by the states? Why hasn't the country in its existence used this more frequently? Part of the reason is that every time the states get close, Congress decides to act. So, for example, the 17th Amendment direct election of senators. The states were actually proposing that back in the day. And when they got close to 34, the 34 state threshold of applications, Congress stepped in and decided, oh, we're not going to let the states tell us what to do. We're going to introduce this amendment. So that's a big part of the reason. Also, I think through Our history, unfortunately, has been marked by more consolidation of power with the federal government as opposed to staying true to our federalism roots, where the states states ran their own affairs, where you took issues and the entity closest to the people was that entity that developed policy for it. So if that means city, then it means city. If it means the state, then it means the state. In terms of national defense, I think it's appropriate that the federal government is the entity that is responsible for defending the nation. Sure. Yeah, and that's one thing they don't like to do now is immigration with foreign policy and handling foreign policy with immigrants coming into the country and national defense. We don't handle those as much. Or when we do, for example, with military spending, it's in our discretionary funding of our budget, which means we have to bicker about it every single time we pass a federal budget or omnibus package. But yet some of the stuff that's not supposed to be delegated to the federal government, like social programs, for example, are in our mandatory spending category to where we're not allowed to touch it. And even if we ask to slow the growth of it, then they say that we're cutting it and that we want people to die in the streets. It's kind of a messed up situation right now. Yes, it is. (laughs) (laughs) And I see a lot more functionality among my state legislators. As I mentioned to you when you you first um, put me on the show, I live outside of Washington, D.C., I, up until starting at ALEC, I knew more congressmen than I knew state legislators. And I have to say that the state legislator members that I have met through ALEC are some of the most serious, sober-minded people I've ever met in my entire life. Mm -hmm. I trust them a lot more than I trust Congress. Yeah. I got to imagine, I, I am a huge fan. I've been a fan of Alec for a very long time with what you guys do, working with legislators around the st- around the nation. Because like you said, this is where it should be, ideally, theoretically, should be where 80% of all the legislation happens is at statewide levels. And with states working together to figure out what works and what doesn't work, this is where 
uh, I think it needs to come back to. And I think some states are starting to get back to this. I mean, I come from Kansas. I can use Kansas as an example to a degree. Our new attorney general here, Chris Kobach, I mean, he worked a lot with the Trump administration. He was a uh, he was our former secretary of state as well that put a lot of immigration law in our state. Uh, he's been filing lawsuits nonstop against the Biden administration on federal issues, trying to block and be that buffer between federal laws and protections with the states, and a lot of other states are using that same kind of mentality. It's not the best system, but it's working right now, isn't it? It is beginning to work, and one of the interesting things, because one of the things about an Article 5 Amendments Convention, any amendment proposed is going to have to be universally popular, ever, otherwise it's not even going to make it out of a convention. Um, one of the problems one of the challenges that federalism has faced for years is it's seen as some a, a mechanism for the right to use. Mm. And I would like to say on your show, it is neither right nor left. Federalism does not have a party affiliation. It doesn't have an ideological point of view. Sure. And one of the things that left-leaning states discovered during the President Trump's administration is that they liked federalism. Yeah. And so that was a bright spot on the left, and they began working more on federalism with red-leaning states. That is true. Now, the weird part is that they started using the concept of federalism on issues that, like we mentioned before, that are supposed to be dealt with with the federal government. For example, when California tried to make themselves a sanctuary state for illegal immigrants, that's not an issue that states are supposed to be handling. But at least they're starting to understand that states can start taking matters into their hands. Just, you know, nice try, but swing and a miss here, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I actually used to joke that both Jerry Brown and Gavin Newsom developed their own foreign policy. So yes, <laughs> I agree with you. But <laughs> at least they were seeing how important federalism is yeah. and understanding how states on the right have felt with having ideas and policies that were antithetical to their state's culture shoved down their throats. Exactly. Yeah, we're talking with Carla Jones, the Senior Director for Federalism and International Relations Task Force with ALEC, the American Legislative Exchange Council, which you can find online at ALEC, A-L-E-C dot O-R-G. Uh, Carla, we got to take a hard break here. When we come back, I want to continue this conversation of the Convention of States on how many states are on board with this and the conversation we've had as of late. The actual organization of the Convention of States, we've had them on many times. Mark Meckler, the president of that one, on where we're at. But Are states starting to talk about it? Can more states get on board? And if so, what's the next step in the process? We'll do some of that more when we come back here, right here for a post-Monday celebration here on The Voice of Reason. Stay here. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. All right, it is. Welcome back into the program. Last call here on the show. Last few minutes as we kind of wrap things up, talking about ways to bring the power back to the states. Obviously, we have more control at the statewide level. We can go and knock on our door of our state legislator and say, hey, 
the hell's wrong with you guys? From the Kansas area, I do a local show on Saturday mornings to talk about Kansas politics, and we have just about all of our legislators on the program at one point or another. They're all personal friends, the majority of them personal friends, maybe up the Kansas City area. Don't quite know a lot of them there, but we try to hold them accountable. We try and pass the bills to protect ourselves, put that wall up against the federal government, which it's starting to work, but we have a long way to go. But that other idea is that concept of convention of states, which we're hanging out. We're talking with Carly Jones, Senior Director of the Federalism and International Relations Task Force with ALEC, the American Legislative Exchange Council, as we find ways to create a convention of states, hold the federal government accountable from outside. And while it may be difficult to do so, is it starting to work? Carla, how many states are on board so far with a convention of states, and do you think over the next few years that we're going to see some more jump on board, like you said, from both sides of the aisle, wanting to protect themselves from either the insanity of Joe Biden or from the fascism of Donald Trump, from what we hear? <laughs> um, it really depends on the initiative that you're looking at. Um, convention of states, for example, I believe they're at 19 states. And an application needs a 34-state or two-thirds of the 50-state threshold before Congress has to call an amendments convention. Another initiative wanting to propose a balanced budget amendment or fiscal responsibility amendment, that one is a little over 25. So it has more states. And there are some people in that movement who have done some research in the Article 5 archives, and they believe that the 34-state threshold was actually reached in 1979. And then you have other initiatives, like one to propose an amendment that limits congressional term limits, only congressional term limits. And they propose like um, a 12-year limit on senators and a six-year limit on members of the U.S. House of Representatives. So it's kind of all over the board. And then there is one very left-leaning initiative that wants to overturn Citizens United via a constitutional amendment. And they're run by an organization, Wolfpack, and I think they've got two or three states. Interesting. Is there a concern, and we haven't heard about it for a while, but I know they continue to push it, of the uh, to, uh, getting rid of the Electoral College and the national popular vote, which I know was a big push for a while. And a lot of states started jumping on board with that, with a lot of people not understanding how the electoral process works, uh, works in the Electoral College that represents a lot of smaller states. But is that a cause for concern as well, do you think? Um, I think it is. I think they're up to around 195 or 196 um, electoral college votes in their initiative. And so they only need a few more states to hit the 270 electoral college vote threshold. I know they're really active this year in Michigan, for example, and that would be, I think, 15 more electoral votes if they succeed. So, yeah, that is a threat to the Electoral College. That is a deep threat. we got just about a minute left here, but you had mentioned that we don't have to go through an actual, like the organization convention of states that has 19 states or whatever that's jumped on board, but actually just having a piece of legislation that states can sign on to, we could do this 
piece of legislation by piece of legislation that I think would calm a lot of individuals' concerns about a convention getting out of hand and just recreating an entirely new government like we saw back after the Articles Confederation. Yeah, Kansas actually has a good bill, SB 92. It's, um, it's creating a procedure to appoint delegates or commissioners, whichever term you want to use, to a convention. And it, it, it has a mechanism for how you choose those delegates. In the case of this legislation, it's the Speaker of the House, the President of the Senate, and the Governor who select the delegates, five of them, and of those five, those three selectors, the Speaker of the House, the Senate President, and the Governor are three of the five. Interesting. So that is one way to keep a state delegate in line. Kind of keep it in control. Yeah, Carla, we're exactly. out of t- yeah, we're out of time. What a fascinating conversation! I really need to get you back on and do some more of this. It's Carla Jones with the Alec American Legislative Exchange Council. Carla, we appreciate it very much. Let's get you back on and do this again here real soon. All right, sounds great. Thank you so much. Hey, you bet. We appreciate it very much. We'll do it again soon. Until then, this is the Voice Reason. I'm Andy Hoosier. We'll see you on the radio.